This recording is protected by copyright. Duplication is prohibited by law. Overcoming your double-mindedness. Overcoming your double-mindedness. James chapter 1. Reading from verse 1. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? This is the brother of Jesus speaking. A servant of God and of my brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man, that woman, that child should not think that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all he does. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. The Bible declares that a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. Not just some of your ways. Not just about family matters or about finance or about your commitment to the Lord. Or about your place of work. Or about your development. Everything pertaining to your life. You are unstable. There's nothing solid about you. You're like the waves of the sea. That is tossed to and fro. By the wind. And the wishes of the wind. Nothing secure about your life. James is writing to believers, those who have come to know Jesus, those who are born of the Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit, those who speak in tongues and declare the praises of the Lord our God. He's not speaking to heathen, he's speaking to believers. And now we need to ask God to help us identify ourselves in the economy of God to determine whether we fall in this category because if we find ourselves there there is a cure for that position. Amen? God is able to deliver us. He says, For I've sent my word and my word will save them out of the caves 
of destruction. My word will heal them. My word will restore them. My word will bring stability and the ability to function at optimum level in the kingdom of God. Amen? But we have to license the word of God to operate maximum in our lives. To the extent that we give the word of God entrance into our lives and to the extent that we embrace the rhema revelation of the word of God in our lives, we will begin to function by the power of that revelation. Amen. Let's look at some evidence of a double-minded person. You are going through a trial or a challenge in your decision-making process. Have you found that when you are blessed and happy and prosperous, you're not double-minded about that? You know that you're blessed. You know that you are happy. You know that you have money in the bank. It's a fact. But when you go through a trial or a tribulation or a test, suddenly you become unstable. You don't know any longer whether God loves you. You don't know any longer whether you are His chosen, His elect, His holy priesthood, His peculiar people. Suddenly the foundation of your life begins to shake. Think it not strange when you go through trials and tribulations. Because this thing didn't come to kill you. It came to serve you. Trials and tribulations cannot kill you. It comes to serve you. It comes to strengthen you. It comes to build character and capacity in you. When Adam came off the production line of God, he was perfect, wasn't he? He was the most perfect human being on earth. The only one. He was perfect because there was no one to test him. The question I wish to ask you, was Adam everything that he could be after God created him? The question is no. Why? Adam was untried and untested. God said to Adam, Son, after you've done all of your work, you've named all the animals and the trees and the plants and everything, you've done your work. Remember, there are two trees in the garden. One is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the other one is the tree of life. Adam, the first one you should not eat of. God did not say that he should not eat from the tree of life. Adam assumed that. Second thing I wanted to notice. When God came, he asked Adam, where are you? It was not a geographical question. God knew exactly where Adam was. He asked him, where are you relationally with me? I miss you in the holy place. Then when he finally showed up, God asked him, what did you do? Instead of accepting responsibility for his unstable condition, he blamed Eve. This woman that you gave me caused me to eat of the tree. Double insult. Adam 
failed Eve. Adam was supposed to instruct Eve in the ways of God. Adam was supposed to tell Eve that she was not supposed to eat from that tree. Eve's double-mindedness was a product of Adam's inability to be a priest unto her. It's important for us to understand the underlying problems that produce within us this thing called double-mindedness. This instability, this unwillingness to believe God and act upon His Word and produce the massive results that God has determined for us to produce. Jesus said, these things you will do and greater works. The problem is in the church today, we don't perform the miracles. We follow the miracles. Jesus said, these things will come after you. No, we follow after it. If you hear about a miracle that happened down the road now, we will quickly empty this building to run after the miracle. Meanwhile, God is busy preparing you to enable you to perform miracles. And one of the greatest miracles that God can perform in your life tonight is to save you from double-mindedness and set you on a track for massive results and success in your life. The Bible says rejoice in trials for they come to serve you. They come to strengthen you. They come to build within you character and ability. But what do we produce instead? Those trials produce impatience. It produces an irritability. Don't speak to me now. I'm going through a trial. Come on, don't talk to me now. I'm sulking today. I'm going to praise God until this thing goes away. I'll remain at home with my tithe until God solves this problem. Sound familiar? I won't sing His praises no more. He left me in the lurch. I'm really in Daniel's den. Lions are crawling up against me. Man, how childish can you be? How ridiculous can we be as God's saints? This thing didn't come to kill you. It came to pass. And when you truly walk by discernment, you will have the agility of a reed. When the pressure mounts up, you just bend down for a little while. For you got to come up right again. And when you come up, you come up strong and powerful and dynamic. Because when you face us to the ground, you know how to pray. You know how to seek God. You know how to wrestle with the powers that come to oppose you. Do you know that Satan is God's agent? God used Satan to strengthen the saints. Did you know that? Satan come to test us, to try us, to assault us, to batter us, to do all evil things against us, to test our strength and character. And you know what? 
Every time we fail the test, we write it over. There's no promotion here without passing the test. Some of us have been sitting in the same class for many years. We know the teacher so well. We know the layout of the classroom. Man, your desk has been edged in with your name. You've been writing this test over and over. You've become proficient in writing this test. It was not God's intention to keep you at this station all your life. You were supposed to pass through long ago. Some of you, the Bible says, ought to be teachers by now. But you are still on the milk of the word. Why? Because you continuously fail the same test over and over. Over and over. Amen? It's time to move on. Double-mindedness produces impatience. You start to doubt the value of prayer. Isn't it? tremendous that when you go through a trial or a tribulation, suddenly you don't know how to raise your hands in praise and in worship. And suddenly you don't know if this thing called prayer works. You know, suddenly you pray and you tell me that your prayers hit the ceiling. It bounces back. Do you know why it bounces back? There's no launching power because there's no faith. You want to try a little prayer. All of a sudden your life seems to be tossed by winds of circumstances and feelings and the opinions of man. And you don't know whether you ought to believe or not to believe. Don't get tossed around by the opinions of man. Do you know what? I've discovered that believers are the most opinionated people on the planet earth. Everyone's got something to say about something. They have such a high opinion of themselves. The Bible declares, think not of yourself more highly than what you ought to. And so we freely exchange our knowledge and wisdom with others. And oftentimes that supposed knowledge does not come from the throne room of God, but from the pit of Satan. Because we vacillate between being spiritual and being Carnal. A lot of people go through life double-minded. And they're never quite sure whether they should believe and make commitments to and never bring forth genuine fruit in their lives. I think everyone sitting here knows somebody like that. Isn't it true? And by now you say, I just so pray to God that that person was here tonight. Well, I'm just so blessed that you are here. Because I think God determined this word for you. Amen? Because within each one of us, there's a little bit of doubt sometimes. A little bit of double-mindedness. From one measure to the other. From zero to a hundred. You know? And depending on where you find yourself you will know where you're at in your walk with God. How does double-mindedness happen in your life? Let's take a look at that. You are bombarded with thoughts from the natural realm that comes in through your senses, through your touch and your smell and your hearing, 
through your five senses, you become aware of circumstances. At the same time, because you are born of the Spirit of God, you are able to receive spirit information. The Word of God has a free entrance into your life. And so you hear the opinion of man, and you hear the opinion of God. And you vacillate between the two. And you don't know which one to believe. Because each one of these two opposing forces weigh the same in your life. Your thoughts, your desires, your convictions are not in place in your relationship with God. On the one side you've got the facts. On the other side you've got the feelings that comes with the word. As a part of what God tells you doesn't make sense or doesn't make common sense. Have you discovered that when you're not in a good place of faith, the word of God suddenly doesn't make sense to you? It seems as if God is speaking to you from another planet. Do you know why? The Bible says that the unspiritual man or woman cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Because you are in the flesh, you are struggling to understand the things of the Spirit. And suddenly the Word of God is in conflict with your belief system. Because your belief system now is not born of the Spirit, but it's a product of your soul, your will, your emotions, your intellect. The reality is that we see the circumstances. We feel the impressions and the suggestions and the information that comes to us. But at the same time, we have the godly desires within us to please God. We have a desire to walk with Him. A desire to fulfill God's mind for our lives. See, but in the imagination, they do not make the decision to give one side the preeminence, and they are torn between the two sayings. They are torn between God, and they are torn between their own opinions. Neither of the two has become a stronghold in their lives. A stronghold of belief. If you cannot decide to walk with God, at least decide to live by your senses. Because vacillating between spiritual and natural abilities causes instability and the inability to believe God. Let me give you an example. You've been to the doctor because you haven't been feeling too well lately. And you wanted to get a medical opinion. That's a good thing. And so you sit there in the doctor's surgery and you read the medical journals of all the latest catalogue of diseases. There's always new ones coming out. And as you sit there, you begin to own some of them for yourself. You diagnose yourself. Oh, this sounds like my one. I've got to have a double dose of this. This really sounds good. I'll have two, please. By the time you see the physician, you actually educate the physician about your disease. You've just obtained a seven-year medical degree while you sat in the waiting room. Man, you know better. 
And the doctor sits there and waits for you to get through. He says, all right, let's test your opinion. Take everything off. Puts the thermometer in your mouth, takes your blood pressure, and work everything through. And at the end, the doctor says something like this to you. Sir, you are extremely healthy. I've never seen a person of your age so fit. And you say, this doctor must be sick. I'll see another one tomorrow. Do you know why? Because you have already taken a decision that you are sick. And you know what? The brain is a very powerful organ. When you send the impulses to your brain that you are sick, the brain said, fine, I will produce sickness for you. And in your emotions and in your feelings, you began to feel the sickness and experience it in your body. And meanwhile, there's nothing wrong with you. It's called psychosomatic. Most people sitting in the doctor's surgery is so healthy. There's nothing wrong with them. But that's why doctors have surgeries. They can see a patient about every 10 minutes. And in my country, physicians are of the wealthiest people. They drive the 959 convertible Porsches. They do the best, I think, of all of the stack of them. Because everybody thinks there's something wrong with them. You go through a trying time with your finances. Now, when you find yourself in that position, let me tell you something first. There's a reason why you're there. It's called maladministration. Whenever you find yourself in a famine, the reason for the famine is because there was an improper administration that preceded the famine. For whatsoever you sow, you will reap. Now I'm talking to believers. Okay? I'm talking the to the blessed of God. And I'm not talking about you not giving your tithe and your offering. You are so blessed that you are wasting God's blessings. And you are causing a maladministration and a short supply of finances in your life. Having too much can also be a problem. Having too little is also a problem. For you can only prosper to the extent that your soul prospers. To the extent that your mind and your will and your intellect embrace the revelation of God's demand upon your life to prosper and to bless you, can you be blessed? If that revelation of God's blessings to you means 5,000 US dollars per month, then that's what your faith can produce. If it's 50,000 US dollars per month, that is what your faith can produce. For you see, you can only reap what your faith can produce. To the extent that your soul is renewed by the Word of God, can you produce results in direct proportion to the promises of God. So now you find yourself in a little fix. And suddenly you don't know whether the promises of God is the truth any longer. Beloved, think it not strange when you find yourself in all kinds of trials and tribulations. For the tribulation came to serve you. How do we solve the problem? Very easy. We have free access to credit. 
I was driving with Pastor Tom today, and I saw a big billboard outside an auto dealer. It said something like this. Good credit or bad credit? All approved. I was fascinated by that. I drew his attention to it. I said, what does this mean? He said, oh, you'll get credit if your name is bad, but at very high interest rates. So you get knocked for the second time. Satan is brilliant. Do you know what the Lord said to me about debt? He said to me, debt is the fruit of impatience. He said to me, son, debt is what you incur when you refuse to believe me to provide for you. I said, Lord, but Lord, I incurred debt by faith. Man, I had a black belt in debt. I was making some serious money. And I was spending serious money. Then the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, you need no faith for debt. Only a good name and a signature. I said, yes, Lord, I have one of those. He said, you only need faith when you've got to pay up monthly. I said, all right. Thanks for telling me now. You see, faith will produce for you what you need in life. When you're unstable, double-minded, the world stands in the middle. It wants to take a decision. And so today, the poor will is pulled over here because it's Sunday morning. And I'm hearing the word of God. And my little soul is beginning to rejoice because it's lining itself up with my spirit man. And so today, I pull my will towards the Word of God. But you see, come Wednesday, Sunday's Word is worn off. And I pull my will into this direction of my soul where I refuse to believe God. Because since Sunday, you see, I had no time to be in the Word of God. Because I'm so busy. So the poor thing is stretched from one extreme to the other, not knowing where to put its weight down. And the world says, because it's a part of your intellect, hang on, I'm out of here. When you decide what you want to do, call me back. I'm not party to this. When you decide where to put your weight down, let me know. And I'll come down and make a decision that will be so powerful, it will revolutionize your life. Meanwhile, I'm out of here. Double-minded people will never make a decision to give one part of their life the dominant authority because they want to have the best of two worlds. You see, a little bit of flesh, a little bit of spirit. How does that song go? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you get one powerful mixture of double-mindedness. You've got to decide. Let's go to the Word of God again. Romans 8, 5. Are you still with me? Happy to know that. I was back home on a Friday night. Dear me, I'll have trouble trying to fool the church. But on a Sunday morning, you should see us, man. We show up in our thousands in church. Listen to this bit of advice. Paul is speaking to the Romans. For those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds 
hit on that nature desires, what that nature desires. But those who look in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Did you hear that? You've got to set your mind somewhere. Those who walk in the Spirit do so because they have their mind set on the things of the Spirit. And those who walk in the flesh do so because they have their mind set to walk in the flesh. Amen. You've got to make a decision again. You see, because you are still standing in the presence of two trees. These two trees won't go away. Again, you have to choose daily whether you will walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had to choose. Are we going to eat from the tree of life, who is Jesus? Or are we going to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the opinion of man, and who is rooted in Satan? Every day, all of us have to choose whether we will walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. You choose daily. You either live out of your senses or you live out of your spirit. You decide where you live. What is double-mindedness? Double-mindedness is when a person is tossed from one side of their mind to the other. They toss from feelings to facts, from reason to revelation, and they are caught as a prisoner because they believe both realms. They believe both the flesh and the spirit. A double-minded person never builds strongholds on their convictions and their dreams and desires that give them instinctive behavioral responses. We spoke yesterday about strongholds and how that a stronghold is a fast track of obedience or response in your life. As you submit yourself to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to become a high thing in your life so that it can become a stronghold in your life, when you come in any situation, you are triggered to a response. Depending on what is in your soul will determine if that response is obedience or disobedience. So double-minded people did not take the time to build strongholds in their lives. They did not take time to study the Word of God concerning their dreams and their desires and their vision for life. That is why they are like driftwood. I don't know if you have the same problem in America. But in South Africa, we have many Christians that play a very special game. It is called musical chairs. They fluctuate like, I call them charismatic dandruff. They fluctuate from church to church, from church to church, hoping to find something as carnal as they are to settle in. They are on an eternal journey to nowhere. Until you put your weight down and dig in the ten pecks of your dwelling, you will not find the purposes of God for your life. Because the purpose of God for your life is in direct proportion 
to the purpose of God for the house in which God has come to plant you. You've come to bring a dimension to the fulfillment of that vision. That is why I don't understand how people can vacillate between churches. Every church is unique. Has a unique assignment from God. A unique vision that they have to fulfill in their lifetime. And so it has to be something that you don't understand who you are. And therefore you don't really care where you end up. Wherever the wave washes you out on Sunday morning. You dust yourself off and you enter to have your time of praise and show up, you know, normally at a good hour so that you can have a triumphant entry and everybody can see you. Dear me, I can understand if that's what happened to you in the ABC of your salvation. But three, four years down the track, for heaven's sake, what's going on? Is this going to be your life? Get off the bus, man. You're going nowhere. You don't even know where the bus is going to. But you're singing songs of rejoicing. A double-minded person doesn't have strongholds to live out of. They are often sense realm dominated. They always tell you what they feel like. Oh brother, today I don't feel so well. Or they are the other extreme. You ask them, how are you today? Oh, God is good. I tell them, I didn't ask you how God is. I know He's good. How are you? Oh, God is good. Because they are in denial. They are denying what they're experiencing in their soul realm. Because there is pain. And there is hurt. And there is undealt issues. And they want to suppress it for the moment of church. And so when you speak to them and ask them, how are you doing? Oh, God is good. Hallelujah, brother. Come on, man. Wake up. Smell the roses. Get a life. All they can do is what they feel. What they touch. What they can smell. What they can hear. Do you know what? The animal kingdom lives out of the same senses. You are supposed to be the crown of God's creation. Because you have the ability to receive spirit communication. Because you are reborn of the Spirit of God, you are able to hear the voice of God in your life. And the reason why you are dust bound is because you don't fellowship with the divine part of your life. That is why the dust weighs so heavy in your life. They keep on being tossed and finally give in to the natural realm. The next thing comes along and they say, Oh God, I want to trust you. You know, they, they're very schizophrenic. We spoke about this earlier this week. A little bit of God, a little bit of dust. The human race is the only part of God's creation that is both dust and divine. That's why we vacillate between being a little bit of dusty and a little bit of divine depending on which day of the week you find me. Oh God, I want to trust you. And then, bang, like a ton of bricks, they hit the deck. Because the flesh kicked in again. And they just can't bring themselves to believe God. Beloved, think it not strange. When all kinds of trials 
and tribulations come to you. Because it comes to test you, to try you, to serve you. The next time you find yourself in a trial or a tribulation, get up in the morning. Take a good hot shower. Dress yourself in your best clothes. Go outside and look the day in the eye. And say to yourself, this thing has come to serve me. When I emerge out of this trial, I will have more capacity and more character than before the thing came. I love trials and tribulations. You say, you're nuts. No, I'm not. I didn't become mature in God because I ran away from trials and tribulations. I embrace trials. I love them. Because they come to stretch me in my purposes. They come to stretch me in my understanding. Oh yes, I have my down days. There are days when I wake up in the morning and say, this thing better go away. Or I will. And then halfway through the day, I begin to read the scriptures. And God begins to encourage me. And I say, hang on. What's going on here? So... Why are you downcasting me? Come on. Hope on God. Come on, I begin to speak to myself. And you know, before I know it, I'm through the day. And I can face a new one. I have problems, trials, tribulations, challenges. It's not what happened to you in life that is important, but how you respond to it. I don't care in a way of not caring, but I don't care about what happened to you up till today, in a, this way, that that will incapacitate you to be what God intends you to be. I've learned a very valuable lesson in my life very early in my walk with God, that I will not leave things undone as far as it is humanly possible to solve. Do you know why? Every time I solve a problem, or God gives me wisdom to solve a problem, to resolve an outstanding issue with a brother or a sister, or whatever the issue might be, I regain my focus on the battle at hand. When you have so many outstanding issues, your focus is scattered, and you cannot produce the best result in God. All of us enjoy the same sunlight every day. But if you take a magnifying glass and take some of the rays of the sun and hold it on a piece of paper, you can ignite that piece of paper. It's called focus. When you are able to focus your attention and your energy and your commitment to the purposes of God, you can speed up the process of your development and maximize your purpose in God. Learn to settle outstanding issues in the shortest space of time, for they have come to sap your energy and steal your focus away from the task at hand. For beloved, when you come to bring a sacrifice or an offering and you get to the altar and you remember Leave the offering. It's not as important as the outstanding issue. Solve the issue at hand. Regain your composure. 
your focus, your energy to worship God. Don't come in the presence of God with outstanding issues. It robs you from your focus to worship God. God says, I don't want half of you. Get out of here. Go and solve the problem. And then you come back, all of you, and worship me. Double-minded people are constantly being tossed to and fro because they live out of the natural realm. They haven't built any strongholds in any area of their lives. And that's why they only live out of their senses. See, even though they have a conviction, this stronghold haven't been pulled down. See, because your spirit man is able to receive convictions about God. God convicts you by His Spirit and by His Word that you need to do a certain thing in your life. Then comes the appeal for prayer. And now you stand up and you say, Yes, I need this in my life. And we stand up. Someone pray a prayer or lay hands on you or do something. Now you leave the church. With this understanding, the problem is solved. No, it's not. The reason for the prayer or the laying on of hands was to be a catalyst in your life to send you back to God and His Word to discover by His Word how to remedy the situation, how to build a value system in your life that can remedy the problem. Too often we have been made to believe that by a simple prayer, and I'm not minimizing the effect of prayer, but we have been made to believe that by praying for you, all your problems are now solved. You go away and be blessed, my brother. No, 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 no. no. Don't be fooled. Whatsoever a man or a woman sows, that they will reap. You have to change the thing that you are sowing to change the harvest that you are reaping. If you are sowing negative thoughts and negative words, you are bound to reap a harvest of negativity. By me laying my hands upon you, you are just becoming a blessed negative person. That's the only difference. Some people are so foolish, and by laying hands upon them, they become blessed fools. doesn't change no thing in you. That's why Paul says, I lay hands upon no man suddenly. When the person has come to an understanding of the impartation that comes by the laying on of hands, then we lay hands. A lot of people live out of their reason, and God never said that will bring victory in your life. And so they are often sense realm dominated. A lot of Christians can't do a thing out of the faith realm if they can't reason this thing out. When you continuously reason, it becomes a high thought. A high thought, if it focused on constantly, it becomes a stronghold out of which you live your life. When you are not willing to submit yourself to the Word of God and the mind of God and the purposes of God, you become alienated from God's divine purposes for your life. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
if the branches does not remain in the vine, it cannot produce fruit. I once cut a branch off a vine. We were having a function and we were using some of it as decorative material. Within an hour, or a little more than that, this branch withered. Why? It was not connected to the vine. From where it gets its life energy, you cannot produce God's desires for your life if you are not plugged in to the source of life. You've got to draw your life-giving sustenance from Him on a daily basis, regular. Some of us think that we can live on an hour in the presence of God per week. Don't be fooled. That's 52 hours a year. A little more than two days a year. That's if you don't skip a meeting. How on earth can you expect to grow in the purposes of God? Paul in Romans chapter 7 explains about the torment of double-mindedness. Paul says, the thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the thing that I know I ought to do, I don't do. But you say, Paul, you're a powerful apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've given us two-thirds of the New Testament by your hand. You've planted more churches than all of the other apostles. What are you talking about? Paul is talking about the power of sin and the remains of the effect of sin in the life of the believer. When we received Christ, the entire body of sin have been dealt with by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our spirits have been regenerated, but the potential of sin is still in the members of our body. That is why you can sin, if you choose to. So Paul now say, I have a problem. I understand the counsel of God, but I find myself doing things that I know I should not be doing. I'm embarrassed when I think upon the things that I have managed to do. And I think all of us sitting here can think of something that you have done since you've become to believe on Christ that makes you ashamed to think about it. And you ask yourself, how did I manage to do that? I can't believe this. It's not possible. The answer is simple. You have not built in your life a stronghold of obedience with regard to that area of your life. I told you last night, Satan's been to your home before. He knows the entrance into your home. You are as strong as the weakest link in your life. The Lord spoke to me one day. He said to me, Son, anything that you do not conquer in the realm of your soul, you will give lineage to in your children. The Bible says he will visit the sins of the fathers in the third and the fourth generations to come. Whatever you don't conquer, you give lineage to through your life. He'll see those sins that you have not overcome in your own life in the lives of your children. 
For that reason it's essential that we stop the cycle of sin and bring about a godly generation, a godly offspring. Because we were willing to pay the price to deal with every outstanding issue in our lives. To allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to purge every area of our lives. And to produce a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special race, those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, the law of sin that dwells in my natural members, my body, pulls me away from God. And I need to create gravity, force, in the side that has been regenerated in my soul realm, so that I don't weigh my spirit man down to sin in my body. Some people have strongholds of lust, for example. As soon as that button is pressed, it's fast-tracked in their minds. Spins that video in your mind. So that Satan can have access into your life. To control your mind. And minimize your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Different kinds of strongholds that Satan has set up in our minds. Just a little stimulation. And you fast track into that sinful nature. The mind has to decide which influence it's going to follow. You've got to give authority to one area of influence in your life. You've got to decide whether you're going to be a spiritual Christian or a carnal Christian. You have to take that decision. When the mind vacillates between being spiritual and being carnal, it's known as double-mindedness. You've got to empower some area of belief in your life. You've got to take responsibility to give your soul authority to lean on and draw from one realm or the other. Without strongholds built on godly convictions, the mind will forever be a place of torment and confusion. The truth is, some areas of our lives is so confused that we don't know whether this area belongs to God or belongs to Satan. We have to reclaim our lives for God. We have to take back what Satan stole from us. Do you also sing that song in this country? I've gone down to Satan's camp to find back my goods that he took. I don't understand that song so well. I'm not so intelligent. But if ever you need to go down to Satan's camp is to go and reclaim your life. Go and take back those areas that you've empowered Satan to rule in your life. Satan can't do a thing with you unless you empower him. Because you see... Jesus were, was completely victorious over Satan. He took from him the keys of hell, of death, of life. And he empowered every believer to live victoriously. If now today any one of us have disaster or lack of victory in any area, it's because we choose to fail. Because we empower Satan to rule. In that area of your life. And you know what? Satan is never pleased. 
with a little space. You always want to take on the next available room and the next one. Any area of your life that's not under the direct rulership of Christ has a big sign on it, available for rent. How do we overcome double-mindedness? The Bible declares, let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. But even though He was the Son of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let this mind, which mind? The mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. You've got to give permission to make room to imitate the mind of Christ. It comes to you by revelation, by the renewing of your mind. You have to give the mind of Christ authority to dwell in your mind. It's one thing to have a conviction of the mind of Christ. It's another thing to draw from those things and say you are the dominant force and influence in my life. Until strongholds of the mind of Christ start to take preeminence in your mind, you will vacillate between flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. You'll become a holy mixture. Schizophrenic. Moving in and out of the Spirit of God. Having victory on Monday, disaster on Tuesday. A little bit of victory on Wednesday. Chaos on Thursday. Calamity on Friday. Then comes Saturday. Thank God tomorrow is Sunday. We can get a little injection again and go on again in the week. Dear God, no wonder we have made little impact upon the world. If you want to see some grand, spectacular things, come and look at the world. Can they do things on a grand scale? Can they throw some good money at a thing when they believe in it? Can they really impress if they want to? You must come to the church to see us do things second best. Man, we believe in something with all of our hearts, but we just can't bring our wallets to it. When I got ready to publish my first book, I went to the publishers and asked them for a quote, which they kindly gave me. When I read the quote, I saw, I said, this is a lot of money. And then that businessman in me stood up. And I said to myself, aha, I know how to solve this problem. I will speak to my business friends and ask them to invest in my project. Then the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, do you believe in what you've written? I said, yes, Lord. He says, then pay for it. If you believe in something enough, pay for it. If you believe in the church, put your money where your mouth is. If you believe that Jesus is the only answer to the world's problems, show me your checkbook. Show me the stubs in your checkbook. And show me where you wrote the biggest check. And I'll show you what your belief looked like. Bring me your expense chart. It's easy to do, people. This is easy calculations. Look at your expenses for the month. And a portion, proportionate, percentage-wise. And you will see who you are loyal to mostly. It's not difficult to do these things. I think there's a software package called... Um, anyway, it's easy. What it does, every time you spend money, it puts it in a certain category. Quicken. Okay? 
you set up the categories. Is it a mortgage? Is it a car finance? Is it entertainment? Is it clothes? Whatever. So every time it logs your expense for you. And you know what it also does? It makes a nice pie chart for you. And it can show you where your money goes. And it will show you what your belief looks like. Come on now. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Don't be afraid of the truth. Fellowship with the truth. The truth has the power to liberate your belief system. I think we become so holy that we don't want to talk about these things. You know? I said to you last night, I'm building a nice spreadsheet on Excel, putting all the members of the church down in a column, and putting all the weeks of the year there, and showing them what their finances look like for the year for the church. That's called transparency. You say, how can you do that, brother? Which Sunday are you going to do it? I'm not coming to church. You know what? I'm printing it out and putting it on the notice board. So which week are you not coming? Do you know what? I can email it to everybody in the church. What are you afraid of? If you walk in the light, as He is in the light. Come on now. Where's the mind of Christ? It's within my spirit. By the Holy Spirit. He's the revelation machine within me. That takes of God and reveal to me. Jesus said, I'm going to be with the Father. But don't worry. I've asked the Father to send the Comforter. And when I go, He will come. But let me tell you something that He's going to do. He will take off me and reveal to you. And so Holy Spirit, who regenerated my spirit, and who's come to reside within my spirit, wants to take off Him and reveal to me, and deposit in me, and bring about a revolution within me. But all of these things doesn't have staying power if it doesn't reside in the mind of Christ in my spirit. To get that mind, I have to allow those thoughts to begin to come to me. I just choose to make that my source. So I let the anointing and the revelation flow. And then I go to the Word of God and I find scriptures that line up with the revelation that came to my spirit. Do you also do this? I spend a time in prayer, but I pray with my Bible, okay? I often pray the Word of God to God. And so I pray, and as I pray, Holy Spirit brings a revelation to my mind. Then I stop my prayer, and I go to the Scriptures. And I find in the Scriptures, those portions of Scripture that can strengthen my belief that Holy Spirit has just brought to me. And I take my pen, and I write them down. And then I begin to pray my new belief. Father, I thank you that it is your divine will for me to be healthy, to have a sound mind. Father, thank you that all my needs are met in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you purpose for me to be strong and faithful and powerful and dynamic. And I begin to build in my mind a stronghold of what God say about my life. And then as I pray, Holy Spirit brings a new idea. I say, alright, let's go back to the Word of God. And you build principle upon principle and precept upon precept. 
until truth is established in your life. And the mind of God rules in your life. I've told you before, every thought is a brick building something in your life. It's either a palace in which you rule and reign as God's royal elite. Or it's a prison in which Satan took you captive. The Bible declares as a man or a woman thinketh so easy. We have to renew our minds to embrace the purposes of God for our lives. Dear me, set your mind on spiritual things. Guard your mind. Fan the flames of your convictions in praise, in prayer, and worship. Continually affirm you of who you are in Christ and His plan for your life. Continually renew and focus and establish your mind on spiritual things by the Word of God over and over and over and over again. Continually choose to believe God and your convictions above your sense realm and your reason. There are three realms of reality that all of us live out of. There's the natural, there's the spiritual, and there's the soul area. The spiritual man is fine as you feed him. The problem is the soul. This is the area of your will, of your emotions, of your intellect. You have to train this area of your life to believe God. To bring it in submission to the Lordship of Christ. You have to continually fellowship with people who love God. Who live by faith. And to honor your convictions. I like what Dr. Miles Monroe say about this particular topic. He says, not everyone can be your friend. Because not everyone is going where you are going. Some people are like weights on you. They want to weigh you down. Hold you back from God's purposes for your life. Carefully choose your friends. I have very few intimate friends. A lot of them are casual acquaintances. And a lot of them are ministers of the gospel. But they don't qualify to be my friend. The highest and deepest level of intimacy is to share deep dreams and desires with people who believe in you and who believe in God's purposes for your life. I want to conclude with one verse of scripture in Isaiah 26.3 I will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed upon me. The reason why we don't have perfect peace is because your mind is all over the place. I will give you perfect peace if your mind is focused upon me, says the Lord. As you focus your mind upon Him, you can draw energy from the mind of Christ. You can draw energy to infuse and energize God's revelation for your life. If you don't do this, you will not be able to reach God's maximum success for your life. My counsel to each one of you is begin a fresh love relationship 
with the word of God. Can I ask a question? Is there any person here who have taken the time to read the Bible once from cover to cover? You've read the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation, the last chapter. At least once in your life, you've got to read this book from cover to cover. Not because you then become a part of an elitist group, you know, that have made this achievement. But you would have read every word. The Bible says in Revelation, Blessed is the man or the woman who read the counsel of his book. You want to be blessed? Read the word. And then begin to read large chunks of the word of God. Like three, four, five, six chapters per day. You say, where must I find the time? Let me tell you where you'll find the time. If your day is cluttered and you don't have time to read the Word, just get up one hour earlier and suddenly you've added an hour to your day. Or go to bed an hour later. Everybody, both princes and paupers, have the same 24 hours a day. Some to rule, others to be ruled. You decide how you spend your time. If you consider your life in God to be important, He will prioritize your time so that you can maximize your life. Otherwise, you will continue to be less than significant even though you have the potential to be very significant. Every believer has the same opportunity to be what God wants you to be. He's not a respecter of persons, but of principles. You tap into the principles of God and you'll find that it works for you. Time is far spent, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the God of all wisdom and all power and all might deliver each and every one of us from double-mindedness, from the inability to live the will of God and manifest the power of God and therefore do not display to the world God's ability because we refuse to believe God. The Bible says the greatest sin of Israel was that they limited the Holy One of Israel. The greatest sin of the church is that they limit the Holy One through unbelief and disobedience. I know that you do not want to be a part of those who refuse to believe the Holy One. But at the same time, you must take a personal responsibility for your life. And say, Father, I repent before you. I thought of myself less than what I ought to in terms of your economy and your value and your purpose for me. I repent of that. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to correct the situation 
that your name can be exalted. Amen? The word of God has come to each one of us. The Bible says, I've sent my word and my word will heal them. And as I stand before you today, I'm so aware of the fact that I need God every moment of my day to be what God wants me to be. I can never reach the point in my life of complacency. Because as I become complacent, Satan will come in to rob me of my heritage. Because I'm at war. You are at war. You have to learn to administrate the purposes of God in your life. The Word of God says that He must remain in heaven until an administration suitable is established on earth. The church through its unbelief is retaining Jesus in the heavens. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love me. And you love me so much that you will not leave me in my unbelief. Father, thank you that you've given me the word. And you've given me Holy Spirit to teach me and to direct me and to lead me and to instruct me in the way that I ought to go. Father, I repent tonight that I have not always administrated my life according to your expectation. I thank you, Father, that you wash me in the blood of Jesus. Your word declares, as I confess my sin, you are truthful and righteous and just to forgive me all of my unrighteousness. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving me. I pray today that you help me to begin to establish a stronghold of obedience in my life. I submit myself afresh to you to fulfill your purpose for my life. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, do not cause me to fall to the ground. I thank you, Father, that you who have begun a good work in me is able to complete that work. Father, I celebrate your grace in my life, your mercy, your loving kindness. It is directing me in your full counsel. Thank you, Father. I worship you. I bless your name. I thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the victory. Thank you, Father, for manifesting your life in me. In Jesus' name.